like for you all to uh, pull out this week and open it to the second page. We are here now. Who are we? Why are we here? Where are we going? In the next four weeks, uh, we would like to uh, offer our understanding, our answer currently to these questions, but uh, before we can do something like that, we have to address the context, and that's what we'll do today. Namely, what are the forces that have shaped who we are and where we are going in the future? Uh, Put another way, uh, our very reason for being doesn't happen in a void. There are forces that have created who we are today. So, in the next four weeks, before we address and while we address uh, identity, mission, vision for the future, today we're going to look at six critical questions that have really shaped our identity and are pretty global as well. They apply pretty much to every church out there. I will not necessarily go in exactly the order that they're printed, so pay attention. For centuries, the Christian church was smack dab in the middle of everything. The first question is, where can we find a life-giving narrative that gives us a solid center? And that center was there for folks. Now, their lives weren't perfect, of course, you understand. There were plenty of things that were wrong. But not only geographically, but in terms of influence, the church was at the center of communities for centuries, giving individuals a sense of a reliable center, much as I am in the center of you right now. The center of a story and an institution to carry that story forward, giving a kind of coherence, a meaning, and purpose to those individuals despite their imperfections. Well, uh, for, for at least 100 years or so, the church has been pushed away from the center of communities, further and further to the fringes, until today, Mount Olivet is over here calling out to Plymouth in 2015, hello, we're over here on the edge of French Park, anybody? Can you see us? The numbers don't lie. There are more people that don't believe in God today than ever before, and there are even a greater increase of people who believe in God or some kind of spirituality of some sort, but they don't understand why a Christian church is relevant to them, and so they don't go. Now, how did we end up in this sort of uh, situation, you might ask? What were the forces that pushed the church out of the center? Well, other narratives and promises competing to fill that void. The promise of scientific advancement, of economic progress and materialism, of social reform, of political ideology, you know, your history, personal achievement. And as good as all those things might be, can be, they are not the center. They are not the coherent center that makes sense out of life. Those things are not our savior. And so in 2015, we understand keenly that we need a life-giving narrative that gives us a solid center. How can we find that narrative? That is the question. Question number two. How can we reconnect 
or connect in meaningful community in a culture of disconnect. To illustrate this point, Pastor Beth and I are going to simulate two people who are close to one another, and it could be a husband and wife uh, waiting for a table on date night, could be a brother, sister at a family reunion, could be mother and son, could be any of those things. And we're just going to demonstrate reconnecting. (laughs) Are you kidding me? (laughs) Okay, that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Beth. How did we do for reconnecting? Oh, we've all been there, haven't we? We have the universe at our fingertips, and we can't look away. And even more than than that, a symbolic of the the truth of the matter, that we have more choices today than ever before in in human history. And it is both intoxicating to us, but it's also uh, somewhat paralyzing. It is the irony of this age that we have more ways to connect with one another and often do productively do just that, while at the same time we are historically, many of us, lonely and disconnected in the midst of all of this. How? Can we connect in meaningful community in a time, an age of disconnect? Question number three. How can we experience a relationship with the living God who is at work in the world? I think you know what this is, the Bible, the Word of God, much revered by many uh, God-fearing people. I would suggest to you that most God-fearing people in this country buy into a certain way of understanding the Bible that's captured in the acronym B-I-B-L-E. Perhaps you've heard this, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. You ever heard that? Hey, that's pretty good. I mean, this is taught frequently. Or it could be Basic Information Before Leaving Earth. Well, if, <laughs> if you're going to put it that way, you know, uh, you better get studying, uh, you guys, and you better, you know, get off your rear ends because... One day, judgment day is a coming, and I hope you make it through the pearly gates. We live in a culture that tends to uh, reduce God's Word, God, the faith experience, to either information, cognitive stuff stored up here, or instructions, and you either obeyed them well or you, you didn't. In either case... Uh, these things are fine, of course. What's wrong with them? Nothing, really. But where is the living God in such a scheme? There isn't one. There's just you trying to work it out on your own with your knowledge or your instructions. What if God's Word was a living Word, present and accounted for, alive in this book, in you, in the people around you? The very living Word that Nicodemus clearly saw in Jesus. The very narrative that Nicodemus was looking for as well. How can we connect and find and have a relationship with the living God who is at work in the world? Question number four. Are we up to four? How can we reclaim the sacredness of a world that we assume is already far too lost. 
A long time ago on a galaxy far, far away before the age of cell phones, I had a flat tire, 2 o'clock in the morning on 35W, tried to change the tire, broke the jack. I was stuck as could be, tried to flag down a car. Eventually one did pull over, a really scary-looking car that was muffler-challenged, shall we say. And the person who got out of the car was even scarier. Despite the fact she was uh, a woman, she was tall, she was menacing-looking, she had this uh, black leather jacket. She looked like the very embodiment of, of a hell's angel. And as this creature from a fallen world approached me, I, I just thought, well, nothing good can come out of this. <laughs> and yet, when she finally got to me, she was uh, among uh, the nicest, sweetest, most helpful people I had met, most Christ-like in the past several weeks. And uh, to boot, she had a jack that worked. <laughs> Often we look at our world around us and we assume it is merely a profane Godless place, and God is nowhere to be found. And then God surprises us and shows up in the most unlikely places through the most unlikely people, people with whom we may even work together, and we realize that sacred ground can emerge anytime, anywhere. This is God's world. How can we reclaim the sacredness of a world that we assume is lost? A very Lutheran question, by the way. The fifth question, how can we embrace and celebrate diversity in a diverse world that God has created? It is uh, well known, and you, perhaps you've heard this little uh, tidbit, that uh, Sunday morning in Christian churches is the most segregated hour in an American week, segregated by race by class, sometimes by political ideology, by social stigma, by subculture, by age. By the way, kids, do you know that you're supposed to be downstairs for kids' school and programs? Kind of goes like that, you know. And then there are, of course, the millions of people around the planet who are also on a spiritual journey who have a different creed, perhaps, than we do. And we have very little relationship with those people. We think, perhaps, that we're not supposed to. And out of this overall attitude of segregation and, uh, comes distrust, we know it, leads to judgment and makes us less human. God made this world diverse. God died for a diverse world, and God is found and revealed in diversity. People with whom we may partner in this world and build bridges with them. How do we celebrate and embrace a diverse world, the one that God created? And the last question, just one more, and then we're done. I know, it's getting kind of long. The last question, and I'd like you to stand up for this one. How can we as God's people make a difference in the world? I would like you to uh, form a circle with five or six people around you. I know it's a little awkward with the pews, but um, you can reach across the pew. Form a circle and hold hands, and make sure everyone has a circle, please. Okay, is everybody in a circle? Your circle is a microcosm of 
the church today, we feel the ground shifting under our feet. We're not quite sure what to do. We're fearful about what is happening. And so we look inward, do, <clears throat> do we not? We look inward and we ask, why aren't people coming here? We mimic culture and we say, well, we better produce a better product. I better talk to the pastor and the staff. We need better worship services. We need better programs, website, whatever. And the people out there who still need God aren't coming. I want you to do something different now. Right where you are, I want you to unclasp your hands and do a 180 and look outward. And now reclasp hands with those who are around you. Perhaps the answer is found in looking out into the world where God is at work, where your fellowship is maintained just as tight as it was before, where the center is identified, and God calls you to join him out there. Are you willing? Are you courageous enough to be born again? Thank you for participating. How can we make a difference in the world? Please be seated.